1: Hi, everybody, Dennis Prager and Julie Hartman. Dennis and Julie, I don't know if you can, you got to be able to tell if you're watching because we have different backgrounds. I am in St. Louis, Missouri, and Julie is back home in the founding studio, in the central studio in L.A. But it looks good, doesn't it? It looks, it looks, uh, it's not like when you were in your college dorm room.
2: Oh, gosh, I remember throwing all of my items to the side <laughs> to get them out of the frame of the shot. I actually, we needed the computer to be lifted so that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't looking down and I would stack like my textbooks. It was, the the whole point is it was a very shanty setup. So yes, this is a lot better. You know, I'm curious, I'll be honest with you in the audience, I'm curious to see how this episode will go. Because we've we've done this, I think, well, certainly we did it when, when I was at Harvard, but it's been so long since we've done an episode like this where we're not in person. I hope it will be good. I think it will be good. I don't know if it will be as right. good. Well,
1: so, no, it, you see, I admire your openness because most programs or podcast shows would not acknowledge ambivalence with regard to any of the quality of the program so I, I'm of two minds on this matter I happen to think we'll pull it off but I also believe that's why I say two minds that nothing compares to in person in, in, in effect we're sort of doing this by zoom it's it happen. it's it's a different technology than zoom but there is a difference but there may not be a difference for the onlooker, for mm. the observer. There may be a difference for us. Is that am I am I clear? Of
2: course, yes. And I, I wonder if they'll there will be a difference for those who listen. I mean, they they wouldn't have any other reason yes. to know besides the fact that we just acknowledged it. But
1: that's right. I wonder if they would. Well, they probably won't. So I have a question which you don't know I'm going to ask.
2: I know, I, for the record, D&J listeners, I never know. And you never know what I'll ask you. None, none of
1: this is rehearsed that, or canned. That's entirely accurate, yes. Correct. It's part of its charm. So you are 24 and have achieved a remarkable level of success. Truly remarkable. This is not a compliment. It's just a fact. I mean, it, it, No one can deny it. So I'll ask you something that I've thought about in my own life and I, I was also successful at your age. And here's the question. Why has it not gone through your head?
2: Well, I don't know if you saw my reaction there, but I, I don't I don't think I've accomplished anything. And I'm 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 laughing because I um I actually don't know why I'm laughing. I feel like maybe I I sound absurd or I I sound like I'm I'm um being humble or something. But I'm not. I don't I really don't view myself as having accomplished very much. I view myself as having um done the bare minimum and I'm chugging along trying to accomplish a great deal. So maybe maybe that answers your question. I'm delighted that you think I've accomplished a lot and I'm not I'm not saying this in a, uh, as well, you would say, in a cute way.
1: I'm no, delighted you, you think I, that. I, I know, no, no, no. It, it There's a very interesting subject uh, because I didn't say you accomplished a lot.
2: Oh, did he not? Huh.
1: I said you were successful.
2: Isn't that the same thing?
1: N- no. Um,
2: it, at my age, isn't if, that the same thing?
1: No, you see, that's a very, I chose my words carefully. By the way, I do think you've accomplished a lot. That is not, but that is not my point. There is no denying, you can debate how much you've accomplished. That is a fair, we could, we, could and it's worthy of discussion. But you can't deny that you are successful. I mean, you, the very fact, I mean, I, I feel funny saying this because it involves my saying something Implicitly positive about me, but you know, I'm I'm sort of a big deal in American public life and intellectual life, media life. You you are the only person I've ever co-hosted anything with. Let's say it was the only thing you did. Uh, the most 24 year olds are not having a weekly podcast with a national figure. That is
2: that's true. That's successful.
1: That's well. That's 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 a success. So your answer was fascinating because, you, and, and by the way, I do believe you answered my question, even though you changed the word success to accomplish. They're not identical. Uh, you, you could be a successful, uh, uh, I, I don't know. N- n- you, let's say you're a successful hockey player. Would you say that he has accomplished a lot? Yes, maybe, yeah, well in the in the narrow realm of hockey, and I have nothing against that, I'm a big hockey fan, but in, in terms of what you're thinking of life and touching lives then he has not accomplished a lot, he's just been very successful, but anyway the the you did answer the question, and I want to explain to people watching listening why I think you answered. In large measure, my question: Why hasn't it gone to your head? You really don't even ex- accept the premise of the question. <laughs> That's you don't you don't go home thinking, "Wow, amazing how much I've done." You,
2: you know, if I may cut in. I, I said when I answered the question, isn't that the same thing? When you said, I didn't say accomplishments, I said success. And then I added, at my age, I just want to say I acknowledge that a co- that the term successful or a, the idea of accomplishments is very subjective. And, and I look at someone, and we've talked about this on Dennis and Julie, how you know college, colleges and universities will have someone like Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, come and deliver the commencement address. And they lionize those individuals as accomplished and successful people. I think for many reasons, those are the wrong people to to speak to us at graduation. And I actually think that their accomplishments pale in comparison to someone who maybe doesn't have as much money or as glitzy of a job, but who has built a magnificent family life, religious life has done well at their business. So I, I just want to make that clear. But um, at my age, you know, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I, I think I, I was defining success and accomplishments in, I guess, what you would call the conventional way, professionally. And, um, you know, it's something I think about a lot because I'm very ambitious, as you know, as the audience probably knows, I've always wanted to be a talk show host. I've always wanted to do very well in my life. I don't I don't really mean monetarily. I just mean like the best at at my field. But I think having gone to the the schools that I went to, that is a private high school and then Harvard and having kind of grown up in a uh milieu of, of people who are on paper very successful and accomplished, I think I've come to see that a lot of that is a farce. And that's not to say that those individuals don't deserve credit for how hard they've worked and what, and what they've done. That's not to say that all of them are unhappy, but when so much goes into the resume, this is my, this is my line, I know you've heard it. When so much goes into the resume, there's not much left in the person and i think i've really come to see that especially over the last few years. and so it's very interesting that you asked this question. i don't i don't mean to make the the, the answer all about me, but um it's Well, it's, the question been, was
1: all about you. right so you, but but your I, answer can be all about you.
2: right but obviously you know this is i want to make this applicable to, to everyone but but it's it's something that i I've, I've been going through a lot having just turned 24 and i think a lot of people my age might Be going through or people who are older went through this at my age what it what is success what does it mean to be successful and I ask myself because I'm I'm so hard on myself and I never view myself as successful at what point in my life will I be able to say be able to acknowledge okay I've been a success what what has to be fulfilled in order for me to finally see myself that way and I think it's shifting more into marriage children a great
1: wow. internal
2: and private wow. life than it is a, a public life.
1: Wow. I haven't heard you say that.
2: Well, that's, that's really in large part your influence on me. And, and obviously I have to give credit to my parents too. My, my dad has told me from the time that I was little, the, the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is, is who you marry. But you, you really talk about this a lot and you know, believe it or not, Dennis, <laughs> things that you say and do make a big impact. And, and again, I think a lot of it too is just growing up in this world and going to these schools and looking at people and thinking, my God, you went to this university, you went to this graduate school, you made this amount of money, you started your own firm, you, you know, you, you've been on the cover of this magazine, you're this, and then you like you think they're going to be so interesting and you talk to them and they are really boring. Like really, really boring and not happy all the time,
1: or even much of the time. So this is—it's funny. I—I I, I threw out that question. I had no idea how long it, we would discuss it. But this is a very big deal for you to say this. So I—I'm going to do something that I, I don't know. Maybe I shouldn't do, but I'll do it anyway. Maybe I should do. Um, I don't know. I'm going to answer my question about me. So it never went to my head, and it, do, it, it doesn't today. E- everyone who knows me knows that's true. I have no hesitation in, in talking about that. I find the idea of being arrogant somewhat of a joke. So uh, when when I think of my life, I don't think what a success. I'm To, to use the... The, the language that I pose to you, I think overwhelmingly of what needs to be done. I, I just want to say one other thing. Sure. Because uh, uh, this really calls for being uh, revealing and self-revealing and, op- and open. So, when I tell people that. Fame is wildly overrated. I, I have the ability to say it <laughs> because I've, re- I've reached some degree of it, and you know this because you know me and anyone who. Knows, the The only thing that matters to me is: have I touched another person? with good values with good ideas will will they be better because they read me or heard me or watched me the fame part is 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 only a vehicle to touching more people well if you're more famous you touch more people but not if i'm more famous i feel better about me or it's it's an ego trip when I ask young people—I mean, really young, like eighth graders—what do you want to be? When what do you most want in life? To be famous is a, is the most common answer. Did I ever tell you this?
2: Well, no, but I know this to be true because I was an eighth grader not long ago, and my one of my aspirations was to be famous.
1: It's fascinating.
2: Why do you why do you think way, it is I, that so many of us, especially yes. at a young age, are obsessed with it?
1: Well. I'm a big fan or certainly have been of Americans, but I do believe that more American kids would say famous than kids in uh, in Spain or France or Norway or Nigeria. Uh, the The power of the media struck America first, I think, with television, for example. It 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 validates you if you're famous. That's what people think, and we see how successful it is with Britney Spears, for example. There's a there's a happy person for you, and I'm not knocking her. I'm just saying right. she probably would have done much better in life if she were not famous.
2: Well, I I think another thing too is, and I I know you very well and. I think even people who don't know you personally know you very well because you're you're authentic. You, you I know it is true for you that that you care above anything else more than anything else touching people making an an influence um be, being a good example than than fame. I don't want to speak for you, but I can imagine there's also another thing at play which I know is true for me and that is I think I, I said a few moments ago that I only feel like I've done the bare minimum in my life, and a lot of that is because I think with all I've been given, if I haven't done this, then I'm an idiot. I'm, I'm a I'm a nothing burger. I, I I was born in the United States of America. I was born in a two parent household. I have lovely, incredible parents who, for my entire life, you know made it known to me that I was their number one priority they were great examples to me i I have had wonderful friends I've had well it's sort of debatable <laughs> I say a great education I think I've had a great education obviously there's you know arguments about the the state of American universities which I totally understand but i but I have had a great education I've had amazing opportunities I email one of the most you know prominent talk show host in the country he responds i come on a show i mean the point is i've had all of these opportunities all of these advantages and so i look at myself and i don't think yeah i'm really successful i think okay i took advantage of those opportunities as i damn should if i'm not successful having had all of the advantages and opportunities that i that that i've had then i'm a dud and i'm and i'm ungrateful and i haven't done anything with it So I feel like for the rest of my life, like, you know, even if I become the president of the United States, which I'm not saying I necessarily will or even want to do, but I feel like it'll never be enough because I feel that I have, I'm truly one of the most privileged people in the world. I wish more people had that mentality. This is not said to, to, um praise myself but well, you know
1: well that's why i did a hmm, i wish everybody did we, I, I for years i've said is this white privilege is nonsense american privilege is two
2: parent privilege
1: two parent that was the other example i always used. two parent privilege that is correct
2: but you see these people dennis and this is what amazes me about the the, the you know the protesters at college and universities you see these people and they're so angry And they're so self-righteous and they think of themselves in such this like puffed up way. And I know those are two kinds of things. I'll address the angry thing first. What the hell do you have to be angry about? If you look at any of those protesters, of course, I'm sure that some of them have have gone through terrible things in their lives. I'm not saying that, that everything has been perfect, but you're telling me you're a student at Harvard. You have all of these advantages and opportunities and you're angry you're angry at the United States of America, you need to go get your head checked that's what I said I said in Dennis and Julie recently. I said you know a lot of these these protesters you know we just view them as contaminated by extreme political thought. I think many of them are truly mentally ill. They have a severely warped sense of themselves in their lives. If you are angry being an American and being a student at a privileged university, you need to go get your head checked and similarly, when you see these people who are really puffed up and they have this kind of this this view of themselves as as so accomplished and a great activist and a change maker and a, you know whatever chess beater it's like you're not I mean whatever you've accomplished of of course I mean it's again it's kind of the bare minimum I see these people who are like, oh, well, I started this organization or that organization. Well, the road's been pretty paved for you to have that accomplishment, so don't think too highly of yourself.
1: A girl came to a microphone at one of my college speeches. You know, they line up, and I always say, if you disagree with me, you come first. So she gets up to the microphone, and she goes, are you telling me that I, as a woman, I'm not persecuted in the United States of America.
2: Yes, that is what I'm telling you. I hope that's what you said.
1: Of course, it's what I said. The girl is, is presumably, I mean, if she's a typical student, she's not working. She's getting all of this for free, either from her parents or the state or both, or the college, so three possible entities, giving her that she has a beautiful dorm room, probably has somewhere a, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, uh, maybe has sauna facilities, can eat whatever she wants, tonight Italian, tomorrow night Chinese, and she is persecuted? <laughs> it, it renders the word persecution meaningless.
2: Well, we we talk a lot on Dennis and Julie about the the inversions in modern society. Up is down, left is right, good is evil, evil is good. And one of the greatest examples of that to me, which never ceases to – the irony of which never ceases to amaze me is that for all that these individuals talk about privilege, their positions, their worldviews, their actions are the most rancid – in-your-face examples of privilege.
1: Go on, amplify.
2: I mean, my I mean, again, like the fact that the fact that you, as a as a female student at a prestigious university in the United States of America, would go up and ask that question that that person asked you—that mm-hmm. is the most. I, I said on this show, leftism is spoiled brat syndrome. If you think as a woman in the United States that you've been held back, of course, and again, as we always acknowledge, you have to, like, throw in a million disclaimers. I recognize that, you know, some people may have members of their own family who've been hard good. on them. I get, right. I get all of that. Right. But just, just on a macro scale, even, you know, the, the, the whining culture is so privileged. There are many good reasons to buy gold and silver. Bank failures, digital currency volatility, emerging market countries trying to topple the dollar as a global reserve currency. Julie Hartman here for Coin and Bullion, Dennis's choice for precious metals. If you ask AmFed owner Nick Grovich to simplify the case for precious metals, he'll tell you when President Roosevelt recalled the gold in circulation and paid people with paper money, they received a $20 bill for a $20 gold piece. Today, that $20 bill won't even fill half of your gas tank, but the gold piece is worth about $2,000, which would you rather own? Now, let's simplify the reasons to use AmFedCoin and Bullion. Nick's been in this industry over 42 years, and he's proud of providing transparency and fair pricing to build trusted relationships. If you're interested in buying or selling, call Nick and his team at AmFedCoin and Bullion 1-800-221-7694, AmericanFederal.com, AmericanFederal.com the The whining culture is so privileged, you know. Like, here I'll, I'll give a I'll give a um an unpopular example. When I hear people talking about how they've been the victim of microaggressions, or even the v- victim of a, of a what they would call a misogynistic or racist statement, you know, the thought I have, even if that happened to you, let's say someone yelled out a slur. An anti woman, an anti black slur. Even if that happened to you, move on. Move on. I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not saying that I can do. But we live it. It's so private. Like, can you imagine on a daily basis what it's like in another country? What what people have to go? I mean, again, we we don't. People in America just think that if something bad has happened to them and if it's unjust then they have the right to perpetually whine about it part of life is that people are going to be rude and unkind to you and 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 not treat you well and you're going to have to deal with that and move on and just again I told
1: the story uh, I took you could see this on the internet people you anyone so I have written about and told the story about my wife when she was about younger than you about 20 and a waitress in LA so the manager of her restaurant uh grabbed her breasts came from behind and grabbed her breasts she took his hands away and continued uh uh, continued serving her her patrons at at the at the at the the, when I say that what an accolade that is to my wife. So, I even sometimes I'm surprised at how sick the progressive mind is. The number of attacks on her, yeah, in the responses to my saying and writing that were remarkable. Well, uh, all she did is perpetuate misogyny in America. She should have. She should have had this man fired. And and her thinking, which she told me years ago, was this: this guy has a wife and family. I don't want to ruin his life because of that. He didn't ruin my life. Mm. When when people tell me they're hurt or insulted, I've uh, on the air. I will fr- not by me. Just in the story they tell me. I almost always say, please understand, you chose to be hurt. You chose to feel insulted. Yes. It's a choice.
2: And again, that's not to say that if someone calls you a slur, they are a despicable human being. That is, no. The, this conversation is not to somehow give a pass to the people who step out of bounds and who do despicable things. The point of the conversation, as you just said, is how are you going to react to it? And it just amazes right, me. Sometimes right. I just hear people and they're complaining about these things. And again, it's not, it's not okay if it truly happened to them, but it's like, move on. Move on. Don't move give on. it that much power.
1: That's right.
2: And that, I know people that, will say to me, they'll go, oh, well, easy for you to say. You know what? I've had things happen to me in my life. <laughs> Why? So wait.
1: Why is it easy for you to say? So it's not No, they'll say I'm, I'm a say, white
2: woman. I'm a yeah. whatever woman.
1: Yeah, but woman, you already qualify. Is N- on the not if you're totem Pole of, of, of victim of victimhood.
2: Not not if you're you conservative. We see that with
1: oh. Candace
2: Owens, Larry Elder, Clarence Thomas. The you know amplify black voices unless you're a black conservative then your blackness dissipates in the eyes of leftists it's the same thing with female it's the same thing with gay it's the same thing with transgender so that doesn't give me any kind of protected status because the conservatism trumps that
1: talking about gay just want to want to make this point because he has so touched me i've been following i've always been he's been on my show for every one of his books he's been uh the the featured person at Prager U Gala at a Prager U Gala he's been to my home he's been on my fireside chat so this is many years in in his life but uh Douglas Murray right now is as about an eloquent spokesman about good and evil as exists in the world
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's a big compliment for me because I think I'm pretty good at that He, he, he's extraordinary. And what made me think about it is the inability to, uh, to know what status X will, will cause you to think he's gay. And
2: I know, I wish I could be, I wish I could go on a date with him.
1: (laughs) Yes. I don't blame you.
2: I Spencer Clavin. (laughs) That's right. Such a shame. Go on.
1: I mean, the, I mean, Dave Rubin's gay, and you know, it, it's it doesn't matter. See, the, the, what the left has done has made what doesn't matter matter. These these are um, luminous conservative or anti evil activists. That's really what conservative means: anti evil. That's the best definition of it, or one of the best. And I know them really well. They, in fact, uh, not Dave, but uh, but um, Douglas. I saw a video of him recently, and all he did was dump on gay pride parades, asking, as a gay, I don't understand. Basically, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. What the hell is this about? What is what is it? What does it mean? Pride? I happen to be gay. That's it. End of issue. I am Douglas Murray. I am human. I happen to be gay. It is not a source of pride. It is not a source of shame. It's just it. But to the left, that's not possible. I am black. That's all it means. It, is, it does not define me. It is not a source of pride. It is not a source of shame. It just is. I am Bill Smith or Dewan Smith if you will, they, they why do they want to rupture the human condition and make the, the inconsequential consequential and the consequential inconsequential?
2: It's, an, it's another inversion in our society. Right. So there, there's a ninth grader who listens to Timeless and Dennis and Julie, and he was brave enough. He's a, he's a California uh, public high school student. And he was brave enough to send me the PowerPoint slides for his ethnic studies course. The state of California became the first state to require ethnic studies in order to get a high school diploma. It's not into full effect right now. I think the first year it has to be in in full effect is the 2029-2030 school year. But a lot of public high schools across the state have already implemented it. And so he sent me his curriculum, and I uh, exposed some of it on Timeless. And it was... We could do... I mean, I've done two Timeless episodes on it, but we could do Dennis and Julie episodes in perpetuity about this curriculum and, and, and how sick and morally warped and intellectually devoid of anything substantive it is. But to your point, what fascinated me was at least in the first episode I was looking at these slides where the first half of the the instruction or the lesson was about racism and oppression in America and this teacher went through and and she made a a big thing of stereotypes and how in the past in the United States of America we have succumbed to stereotypes of different groups to oppress those groups so she gave an example of how I think Maya Angelou was discriminated against as a 12 year old when she was like buying a movie ticket and the person refused to give it to her because she's black and then there was another example on the slide of this Italian-American who was um, a victim of a lynching in the 1890s because there was some murder of a police chief and people in New Orleans thought that it must have been the Italian mafia. So they went out and and lynched a bunch of Italians anyway. So the the first part of the the course is about stereotypes and the the insidious effects of, of racism and specifically, and she really hammered this point home, judging people based on their immutable characteristics. And then literally, like three slides after that, there was this intersectionality slide, which is basically, and, and I can't, I'm actually, I get hard on myself when I can't define something because I think I'm an idiot, but I'm actually proud of myself that I can't define this because it shows that I think clearly. If I can define intersectionality, my my head is a bit scrambled. But it's basically, as you know, this idea that, like, you, you have th- this kind of crossroads of, of multiple identities that, that define you, and the teacher, to, to demonstrate the incredibly intellectually profound idea of, of intersectionality, put up this, this chart of Beyonce, and there were all these lines, like, dr- drawn from, from the center with her name Beyonce, and one of them was, you know, woman, black, heterosexual. Rich, and um, and then the some of the lines were green, and the lines that were green signified what made her privileged, and that was of course the rich and heterosexual. And then there were lines that were red, which signified what made her oppressed, and that was woman and black. And it was just unbelievable to me how this teacher, in the same lesson, could lament the existence of a time in the United States when we judged people based on their immutable characteristics. And then she is literally indoctrinating and inculcating students to do the exact same thing. It's crazy. It
1: reminds me, it's a little different, but it does truly remind me my college teachers, and I thought of it then, who would say, Whenever the subject arose, morality is relative. <laughs> there's no absolute morality. There's no objective moral truths. It's, it's personal, personal value system, personal take. Then the next class just wants you to know the war in Vietnam is immoral. Yep. So I, I remember, I, this was in college, and I remember thinking, wait a minute, didn't he just tell me that morality is relative? How could he make that declaration? All he could say is, in my one person's opinion, it's immoral, but it doesn't make the war immoral.
2: Well, back to your point about Douglas Murray, it's so – it really is insulting. Like one of the things I said in my episode when we were looking at the Beyonce intersectionality chart was, is this – are you trying to say this is all who Beyonce is? When I look at Beyonce and I listen to her, I love her. I've been to her concerts. I don't think of her as a black – Heterosexual, rich woman. I think of her as a badass woman who makes great music. You're reducing her to these labels, and you're missing the entire essence of who this person is. And you know, so a few months ago, I was in New York City during Pride Month, the the uh, the month which Douglas Murray so eloquently <laughs> disparages. And all over Fifth Avenue, I mean, really around, all around the city. But I was I was on Fifth, I was staying on Fifth Avenue, so I I spent a lot of time there. Every single store was decked out in pride regalia. And and interestingly, every store had had a pride-related advertisement. And so the one that really stood out to me was Uggs on 42nd and 5th. They had this huge banner with all of these drag queens on it. And the advertisement was, feel heard, feel seen, Uggs. First of all, I mean, there are so many ways we can dissect this. First of all, how do you feel heard and feel seen wearing Uggs? Maybe I can maybe understand feel – how do you even feel oh, heard feel do. seen? That, yeah,
1: yeah. Well, heard is a tough one. But you wear Uggs, you will stand out, and people will recognize you. I mean, it's absurd, obviously, but that that's the theme. I But I don't know – what does it have to do – with Pride Month. So
2: that, that, well, that's the whole point. And I took a video of it and I put it on my Instagram and I said, "What I want people to see when they walk past this? And this is the point that I was saying earlier that, you know, the the left and the, the students on college campuses, all they talk about is privilege, but they themselves are the most privileged, whiny, spoiled brat cohort to ever exist. I want people to start seeing that inversion. Similarly with Uggs, I said, when people walk past this, I want again, people to see this inversion where you look at it and and on its face, it's pro-gay or it's pro-trans. Feel heard, feel seen, wear Uggs. But actually, that's really insulting because essentially what Uggs is saying is, I think, you know, you people walking by who may identify as LGBTQ I think that you guys can be so easily bought off. I don't have to sell you my product based on the merits of my product. I can just put a, you know 12 by 15-foot banner of a drag queen, and I know that I'll get your business. It's like that, that to me is, is very insulting. I can just pander to you. I can just, you know, throw out this, this uh, what do they call them, virtue signal, and I know that you'll come and purchase. I don't actually need to woo you. I don't actually need to sell this to you. That to me is incredibly insulting. Like if I, when I see these women things, like come and buy my product because you're a woman. Screw you. You sell me based on the merits of your damn product. I'm not just going to come walking in there because well, you're pandering you know, to my womanhood. That,
1: now you have answered, interestingly, you have answered to a certain extent a puzzle. Why is merit considered a white supremacist value. It's always dismissed as a white supremacist value, merit.
2: The California Department of Education, or maybe it was the California Community College uh, conglomerate, they released this framework recently where they said, you know, merit on its face appears to be egalitarian, but really it's just a kind of code to facilitate the ascension of white people.
1: Look Which, the, which the Ku Klux Klan would agree with. Would they? They would say the same exact thing. If you use merit, whites will succeed. That's. A, I, that's I don't a
2: follow. Purely, Why would the Ku Klux it,
1: Klan say that? Because they think that whites are superior. Mm. That's that's the implicit I statement see. Oh, of I see what you're merit saying. is white supremacist. I see. It, well, if a, we go on merit, whites will succeed. That's what a white racist would say yes and now the progressive the, that's why my dear wife whom you adore has come out with uh, the statement so frequently saying dennis don't say that white that um
2: uh america is uh, uh, not systemically racist
1: yes the left is systemically racist
2: she's that's that's the sue prager um thesis and it's brilliant she's right it, it's inc- right. Well, this is what you say on your show. I was listening to you the other day, and you, you were talking about the Oregon Department of Education's um, code yeah, saying they say, that's right. finding one right answer in math is white supremacy. And you're like, that is so racist because it, it, it assumes that there's something special about white people
1: that they right. find that one right them answer. to know that two and two is four.
2: I, I don't understand how this is not more obvious to people. The, the constant, again, as we've been talking about, inversions, and how pandering and insulting and, you know, to use the, the, the terms that they throw out, how racist and misogynistic a lot of these campaigns really are. They, they, a lot of these, they're just, they don't realize that they're being manipulated.
1: Right. That's the essence of manipulation otherwise it wouldn't work <laughs> if you knew you were manipulated i
2: manipulate want to say that to work. to some liberals i know in my life like you you know do you just re- do you realize that you are a puppet in a puppet show and there are people above you pulling strings and you you may have these good intentions and be you know genuinely c- committed to fighting the things that you deem worth fighting but you, do you do you understand that you are being used up I don't know if that would resonate.
1: Now, it, I, I have given up. I don't think, the only thing I think works, if you have a woke person in your family, is just to ask questions. <laughs> well, that's well, what you I did, do. You did ask. Yeah, you did. Yeah. But it's, I have, by the way, just anyone watching or listening, a column I wrote about a year ago, questions. To ask to determine if someone is a liberal or a leftist. And I have thirty-two questions.
2: It's a really good one. I remember that one. Yep. Well, Barry Weiss put out this article recently at the free press. It's called Where Have All the Democrats Gone. And increasingly, there's there's no longer that distinction between liberal and left. And and look, I will criticize the Republican Party. I always think when I'm criticizing the left, okay, what you know, what could be said about the right. But there, there are gradations still on the right. Actually, we're as you know. I mean, we're, we're pretty divided on the right. But on the left, I don't. I don't. Can you can you identify a liberal? Still, I really can't. I know people who so, started off as liberals, but now, but now I think that they're mm-hmm. leftists or they're they're they've just given well, so much have, credence to leftists. I leftism. have
1: extended family members who were liberal and not leftist. Of course, they vote left. But if you were to say to them, so wait a minute, do you think that a man who says he's a woman can compete against women in women's sports? Of course not. That's ridiculous. So I say, yeah, but the Democratic Party is on board with that. That's just a fringe. It's a tennis. F- it's crazy. Everybody has fringes. The I right know. has fringes. The left has fringes. So there's always a way to dismiss what they differ with it's not really that strong or toxic so uh, do you do you agree with all black dormitories on college campuses of course not That, that that's a it's racial segregation yeah but the democratic party is in favor of that yeah that's the fringe dennis and anyway talk about racism i mean just look at trump so there's always an answer there's always an answer so as not to confront so they don't agree with the left on mo- on most issues where liberalism and leftism differ, but that doesn't change their view of how they will politically act so even if the even if the difference exists it's a, it's a, it's a difference without significance that's the problem yeah because there is nothing this I can tell you because I grew up in that world there is i can't think. Of anything, I'll give you two examples. I can't think of anything that the Palestinians could do—call them Hamas, call them uh, uh, Hezbollah, or, or theoretically Lebanese—but or 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 any group that would cause Palestinians to say we are shamed by that behavior there I, I I literally believe nothing could happen that could be done by let's say Hamas I don't think there is anything the left could do mm-hmm. that would move a Democrat to vote Republican
2: my pillow is excited to bring you one of their biggest betting sales just in time for Christmas get the Giza dream bed sheets for as low as twenty nine dollars and ninety eight cents a set of pillowcases only nine dollars and ninety eight cents. Rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more, all with the biggest discounts ever. They are also extending their money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 1st, 2024, making them the perfect gifts for your friends, your family, and everyone you know. So go to mypillow.com and use the promo code PRAGER or call 1-800-761-6302 and you'll get big discounts on all my pillow bedding products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98 and get all your shopping done now while quantities last.
1: I don't think there is anything the left could do that mm-hmm. would move a democrat to vote republican
2: what do you think it's going to take then I well have my own...
1: the the answer is it, it, it the the answer might be god forbid pogroms against jews i mean literal violent outbursts
2: but we, of we there's already been one or, and they don't
1: yeah well there hasn't been one like like jews know about pogroms from eastern europe so it it it, that might that might work but it wouldn't matter the democratic party would condemn it and so they'd feel perfectly at home Mm -hmm. so i the answer to your question is nothing i don't believe as i said i gave two examples there is nothing hamas can do to make palestinians ashamed of hamas there is nothing the left can do to move a Democrat to vote Republican.
2: On Timeless, I recently interviewed a woman named Monica Harris. Shameless plug for that episode. Everyone everyone should watch it, or you don't even have to watch my episode. Just, just get her book. Her book is called uh, The Illusion of Division. She is a black lesbian atheist who— described herself on my show as quote nothing close to conservative even though we discussed that and by the end of the show she said you know maybe I think I am conservative <laughs> because we we really we really got into the discussion of, of labels but anyway um she she wrote this book the illusion of division by the way a little quick little background on her she went to Princeton and Harvard Harvard Law she worked as a entertainment lawyer for 20 years, and apropos of our the way, the way that we started Dennis and Julie, she, she realized that her life had the appearance of being very successful, but she didn't feel fulfilled. And so she quit her job in corporate law, and she and her wife moved with their son to Montana. And she said that she was told by all of these people you're going to Montana. Well, that's where white supremacists live. That's where Republicans are. You're going to, you know, you're going to have all these horrible things happen to you. And she talks about in her book and and on the show with me, how it was, it was nothing. Moving to Montana was, was, was not even close to how the people described it would be. She said, just, and she said, I, I, I'm friends with Christians and I don't believe in, in Their god, let alone any god, you know. She talks about meeting with this pastor who was called a white supremacist, and she had coffee with him, and you know, discovered that just like people call you a white supremacist and you're really not, this pastor was called a white supremacist and really wasn't. Anyway, her her big crusade is a telling people through her experience that a lot of the division is an illusion. And a lot of it is contrived. These, these racial divisions, the you know, gay versus straight or the Republican versus Democrat, a lot of that is being throthed, frothed up to divide us. And in, in, in practice, it's really not that bad if you just get to know people. But she also really wants to, and I admire this, combat the division that we're seeing, which brings me to this point. And that is, I said to her on the show, and I'd be curious to hear your response, Dennis, I, like you, completely despise the division in our country. And I agree with you that a lot of it is contrived. However, there are people now who I don't just differ with politically. I differ with morally and civilizationally. And it just made me think of this. You
1: said this to her.
2: I did. Yes. Yeah, on the air. And it made me think of it as you were just describing the, you know, the the Hamas. There's there's nothing that that you could tell a Democrat really that would change their minds. They would always have a have a comeback. And I struggle with this because I have a lot of liberal friends. I know a lot of I have a lot of liberal people in my life, and and I adore them, and. To their great credit, they're supportive of me. They may not always watch this show or, you know, consume my content, but they're very gracious. They're they're supportive kind of from afar. But I know a lot of them are those types of people who would kind of give an excuse, for instance, about gender-affirming care. Oh, well, yes, I think it's bad to give you know kids puberty blockers but you know some some kids may need it or some kids may be ready for it or the science is still you know coming out about these things and and what i said to monica and what i'm now saying to you is i'm really confused how to approach my relationships with those kinds of people because on the one hand i want to combat this division but on the other hand if you really believe that it's okay to give puberty blockers to a 12 year old. Even if you're brainwashed, at this, at a certain point we have to go, okay, you can't be that brainwashed. I, I don't know if that's someone who I care to know or who I should be continuing a relationship with. So it's kind of this question of like, how much forgiveness, how much credence, how much wiggle room do we give people? Did any of that make sense? I don't
1: give much. I, I be, be honest with you, and my, my patience for people who are pro Hamas or well, yeah, uh, that's... or believe that men give birth, w- where they have left the world of of reason and and entered the inversion world you described, my. My, I'm not saying this at all as a recommendation to others I promise uh, anyway there'd be no reason why I would lie about that I don't I don't, I don't lie it's a matter of a conviction but I I think it's a waste of my time of my Dennis's precious time to spend with somebody who thinks men give birth or Hamas is the moral equivalent of Israel it, it, it there is what are the chances I will turn them around on a one-to-one basis minuscule and I'm pretty persuasive so minuscule in in that amount of time I I could have written a column I I I could have spent more time with with friends and and family I I mean the, the number of other options so I mean, I'll ask you in in light of this since you're asking this question, first of all, I didn't know you had such people in your life. I thought they had sort of on facebook rejected you by now oh
2: so, many many of them have and and I want to make yeah. clear none of my friends are pro Hamas none i
1: right. wouldn't be so what would you do if you had one a sweet kid your age or whatever, and you know julie you know i i just I just hate. Uh, kids being killed on any side. So uh, I don't see difference between Hamas and Israel. What would you do?
2: Well, I would have a conversation with them. And I would calmly and compellingly
1: give them my arguments. So, so good. And I I think you should give that a one-time try. But what I have done in my life is the reason people say, how are you so calm with people who who strongly disagree with you on the radio and i say because i know that if i show patience my arguments will resonate with the people listening i never in in 40 years i have never thought i would persuade the person calling in who differs with me on a fundamental issue the only reason I spend the time I do with them, is because I know millions of people will hear this.
2: Right. Well, so I'm, I'm really glad that we're talking about this because I think people, especially my age, will relate to this conversation. I know because I, I, I have a lot of liberal friends, but I also have conservative friends. And I talk with my conservative friends about this because in our generation, the vast majority of people are liberal. And so, I and my other conservative friends, we have liberal friends because of just the sheer the sheer numbers uh, component. And it's really hard again because none of my, as I said to you, none of my friends are pro Hamas. I mean, I would there are just some things I would just draw an absolute line. If you if you are if you're pro Hamas, if you think there's a moral equivalence between Israel and Hamas, I we really have nothing in common, and you're a despicable human being. None of my friends are like that. But, as I said, I have friends who – certainly I have a lot of friends who vote Democrat, and increasingly I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying, you know, that, that – I'm not asking people to vote Republican, but I think voting Democrat is a vote to ruin the country. So I have a, I have a lot of friends who vote Democrat and i have a lot of friends who we don't always get into political discussions but but and maybe it's unfair for me to make assumptions about what they would say but i can definitely picture with regard to for instance the trans women in women's sports or the gender affirming care thing people going like softly condemning it but kind of giving this well we may not know the full story or well some you know for some people this kind of treatment or this kind of recourse could be okay and so what my conservative friends and I talk a lot about is again like at what point at what point do you draw a line and I keep a lot of these people in my life because I have a history with them because we're able to have a friendship outside of our political differences I mean clearly I I don't talk with a lot of my friends about politics ever and we have great conversations and have a lot of fun with one another but As the the moral and civilizational divides in our country are deepening, as much as I want to be an example of someone who doesn't, you know, block someone out of their lives because of political differences or who perpetuates division, it's hard hard for me to remember that I'm in a relationship with someone who would kind of give a mealy-mouthed excuse for this kind of degradation, but again, I know I'm, I, forgive me, I know I'm kind of talking in circles here, but so many of them are brainwashed. And so many of them have just, and I remember I was, I, I mean, I, liberal Julie would have never supported gender affirming care. But I remember at one point in my life, I really thought it was bigoted to deny a woman the right to have an abortion. I remember at one point in my life, when Donald Trump was running for president, I really thought it was a terrible thing to build a border wall. And I look back on myself and I go, my God, how could you be so stupid? How were you so irrational? But then I came out of it and I want to give that same space for my friends, but I don't know if they'll come out of it. So it's like, do I give credence to their views? Do I stay in the friendship and let it look, go? If I don't you know. Think, uh,
1: if you think there's hope, then, then you know, more power to you i don't I don't know what to say i i just i I have found that on on a one to one basis someone who holds certain views, you see if you don't come to your views via reason, you won't reject your views via reason, so when I'm using reason to tell somebody that it's so utterly obvious that it is immoral, it is wrong to have a man who says he's a woman compete in women's sports. I am using reason.
2: Right, not data. They didn't come
1: to their position via reason. right? Oh, it's perfectly fine for a man who says he's a woman to lift 250 pounds more than the best woman's lifting in the weight competition lifting competition in canada which has happened that they think that's okay means that my use of reason it is like it would be all give a silly analogy but an effective one you oh you have um uh you have pneumonia we're 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 going to combat it with uh a uh a special potion of bananas It, it It doesn't work. You didn't get pneumonia because of lack of bananas, and you won't solve it because of a surplus of bananas. If you came to your position with no use of reason, then Dennis's or Julie's or anybody else's use of reason is useless. And that's the reason I have a more uh, pessimistic view of dealing with these people than you do.
2: Again, look. I don't subscribe to a kind of moral relativism. I think it's one of the many cancers in our society. However, I must acknowledge that they think that my positions are as bad as theirs are, or as, yeah, as I that's think true theirs
1: for, are. That's true for every bad group, right? Y- y- you know, the Nazis thought that the, that Churchill was was terrible.
2: They I'll give you an and again, I believe in, in objective reality and objective distinctions, but you know, let's take the immigration issue as an example. They really think well again, this is this is my assumption. I haven't like talked to someone directly about this in in, in quite a while, but but I'm I say with ninety-nine percent certainty that there are people who think that by my supporting immigration control into border wall, I am causing people to die mothers carrying their children's uh, children's (laughs) mothers carrying their children's mothers carrying their children to to drown and start you know being turned away from the border and you have to go back to these countries and face like they they see my policy position on that through that lens and again I'm not I'm not trying to give a pass but They they really they are as disgusted by some of the positions I take as I am disgusted by the positions that they take, and so we sort of agree to a ceasefire, which is like, okay, we love each other. You hate my positions, I hate your positions, but let's you know be friends and love each other. But again, at a certain point, as these moral and civilizational divides are deepening, that it's becoming harder and harder. For me, and as yeah, well probably would, for they them. They wouldn't
1: hold that position with regard to their home. It, 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 if, if, if 25 mothers and children wanted to come into their house, they wouldn't allow it. So America is not their house. They have different rules for their house than, than they do for the country. And, and multiply it by, obviously, millions. That was I gave 25 for the house but but give $5 million uh, for, for the country, $10 million for the country, $20 million. It, it, their, their argument is emotional. If America was not open, they would never have drowned, and I don't know how many drowned in the Rio Grande, but in any event, none, none would drown. They wouldn't try to come here and get raped on that way, which doesn't seem to bother them. Do you realize that by opening our borders, vast numbers of these women will be raped because of the of the terrible people on on the way to the United States? Whereas if they never made that trip, they wouldn't have been raped.
2: Well, I, might, I don't you know, but much... I think they would probably be. I mean, I think they would be raped in their home. No, country. no,
1: they would be still at home.
2: Well, That's I think true. I think they would be terrorized and raped by gangs and bad actors in their okay. own country.
1: I, Listen, I agree hearing... with your
2: statement. I agree with your position. Yeah, okay, I'm telling you what fine. they would say.
1: It, that's oh, that's what they would say. But I don't believe.
2: Uh, I do I believe that is true.
1: Their 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 situation. Okay, you're from Guatemala. I've been to Guatemala. I've been to Honduras, the the, the, the killing capital of, the, of, of Latin America, uh, and it what the gangs are doing there is horrific. But you, you, and I don't blame them. I've said this from the beginning. I, I said, probably a hundred times on the radio, if I were they, I would sneak into America. Of course. Oh, of course of, you would. There is was. no question. Of course. Especially and, if you're you, a conservative who denies it, is not telling the truth. Right. Okay. So, so that's a given. It, it there is, there is a tragic aspect to life in in parts of Central America and the rest of Latin America. It is not solved by not having a border for a country. We should allow a lot of these people in legally. I have no issue with that, but uh, it's look at what is happening in New York City where after all of their talk about we're a sanctuary city and we have to let as many in, now all of a sudden we can't handle it. We can't handle it. So it's a theoretical position that the left takes based on emotion. But uh, anyway, I didn't give... It's a perfectly legitimate example for you to give, but I I gave Hamas and, and men competing against right. women. It, those are not positions in most cases people can be argued out of because they didn't come to it through reason.
2: I, I think what's hard in in my own life, in my friendships, and, and, and on the air, I mean, I have this debate all the time as I'm delivering news or talking about a certain development, is how much... How do I balance grace with levying consequences, harshness and graciousness. That's a, that's a really hard thing that, because we need both, you know, you need.
1: I I, I have a, I have worked out an answer for me. Okay. It's not the perfect answer. So my, my way of putting it is compassion in the micro and standards in the macro. Mm. That is, that is why when I announce my wife and I are godparents to a gay couple's children. There are conservatives who get angry with me. Hmm. You, Dennis, you, you take biblical positions. You you, do, you believe that marriage should be between a man and a woman, and you're godparents to a gay couple's kids that that, that they got through a surrogate. Well, and the answer is yes, because they're a be- They're two beautiful human beings, two beautiful children, and and if if they want my wife and me to be the moral guides of their children if they die, of course I will say yes.
2: You know what's fascinating to me coming into this conservative world? I, I often talk about the the differences of <laughs> leaving the left and coming in and meeting all these conservative people who I once had assumptions about. In addition to many I I, I mean we've I've told you that that all of these prominent conservatives who I've met are exactly the same off the air as they as they are on the air. In addition to that, it's been very humbling to see how many conservatives are so compassionate and giving, to your point, in the micro, for our conservatism in the macro. And I remember being on the left and thinking, like, conservatives were these stern, unforgiving, kind of who cares about xyz person suffering and i and by the way i don't believe that our macro values have that at all i i I actually think conservatism on a macro scale is very compassionate to people who are suffering Uh, it's one of the misconceptions and the lies about conservatism that it's that it's harsh but nevertheless i had an assumption as many on the left do that 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 it was harsh but you meet these people including you like in person and they they are the ones I mean, look at—I don't want to say their names—but at Shabbat dinner last week, there's was, there's was this um, very prominent Christian physician and his wife who came, and they just went on a missionary trip to Angola. That's
1: right. Where they? And well,
2: it's it's so true. Conservatives give people.
1: more charity and yes. volunteer more time. This is a statistic. Listen, our time is up. Believe it or not, and it did work.
2: I know. I was Propole. thinking that. I think it. I think it at, did. The audience yes. will decide I'll if
1: it st- did. I'll stay in St. Louis. Please don't. Okay, I'm coming back.
2: For, okay, for the sake of time, I, I won't kick it over to Dennis. You can reach me at julie at julie hartman.com. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at julie r hartman. And you can follow Dennis on Instagram at the Dennis Prager and on Twitter at Dennis Prager. And we'll see you back here every Monday for Dennis and Julie on the Julie Hartman YouTube channel. It's at 1 o'clock Pacific four o'clock eastern and of course if you don't want to watch us and see our great outfits you can listen on apple and spotify but we hope you tune in to see our great outfits
1: absolutely
2: shalom bye bye